Hello and welcome everyone to the Explorations on Feminist Leadership by One Future Fellows 2021, a podcast by the 2021 cohort of the One Future Fellows where we discuss, examine and learn about all things feminist leadership. I am Chetna. I am trained as an architect and my pronouns are they, them. Hi, I'm Tanisha. I am an aspiring mental health practitioner and my pronouns are they, them. Hello, I'm Vibha. I'm a law student and my pronouns are she, her. And today we will be talking about reimagining labor relations. Welcome Tanisha and Vibha. Tanisha, can you help us understand what the general definition of labor relations is, please? Of course. So the Encyclopedia of Occupational Health and Safety defines the term labor relations as the system in which employers, workers, their representatives and directly or indirectly the government interact to set ground rules for the governance of work relations. Labor relations can also be used in connection with the various forms of worker participation. So they can encompass individual employment relationships between employer and a worker under a written implied contract of employment. Although this is often known as employment relations, but it is used interchangeably as well. In ideal labor relationship, employees and workers would not be exploited and there would be focus on both individual as well as organizational interests. However, Marginalized communities on the basis of, say, gender, caste, disability, etc., have always been facing the brunt of an exploitative capitalist industry. The pandemic accelerated their visibility and glaring flaws in the organized as well as the unorganized sector. Today, we'll be exploring labor relations based on our experiences and seek to reimagine labor relations. Starting off with, this is something I'd like to ask both of you. What is one internalized notion of labor that you are unlearning? That's a great question, Viva. I think I'm someone who weighs my worth in productivity and the past year has just kind of heightened that for me. So I'm trying and often unsuccessfully to destroy this idea that I'm worth how productive I am. And one of the things that I've started doing is documenting what I learned on a certain day rather than what I did that day. And I have a little diary where I write down today I learned in the margins and fill it with whatever and whenever it comes naturally to me. Wow, that's like a really good strategy. And I absolutely relate to what you said about it, which also reminds me of how Devin Price talks of how laziness does not exist. And uh, that kind of brings me to my idea of realizing that I don't need to capitalize my hobbies. I completely resonate with both of you and I think we've all been indoctrinated to feel that way like throughout our lives. Also, I think growing up, I somehow learned the notion that some jobs are better than others, especially when it comes to say manual labor and intellectual labor. And I have been trying to get rid of this mindset for some time now. Thanks, Viva, for sharing that with us. And I think this is a great place for us to reflect on. And also talk about what labor relations mean to each one of us. Tanisha, would you like to share your experiences? Thank you for that question, Chetna. And I have a few things to say about this, so allow me to monologue. I think the first thing that I think of as an aspiring mental health practitioner is how as interns and as psychology students were expected to churn out content for, you know, the practitioners or organizations that we 
are working for without any pay and or even at minimum stipends that barely cover travel costs for most of us and the reason that's cited is that you know we're getting exposure and we're getting to network but what does this mean for people who are not in the financial position to dedicate time to unpaid work right and how how do we then gain exposure or network with people another thing that happens in mental health organizations i feel is that the relationship between the employer and employee is that of obedience and we're expected to be grateful for the bare minimum and the exploitation continues because there's not enough of us within the field who are willing to and are able to hold our peers accountable lastly i think not just at a psychology student or an intern level i think even among practitioners what happens is that we're not allowed to just be therapists we are expected to be workshop facilitators curators attend conferences do research conduct training and just market ourselves on every platform that we can and there's such commodification of care work and it's a vicious cycle because we all feed into it and we don't know what the way out is so there is a very toxic environment that gets created thank you so much for sharing kanisha and i completely relate with you when you spoke about exposure as pay because that's something that happens in the legal industry as well as interns and as say immediate graduates we aren't paid well for the work we do and even though we're all expected to be workaholics this system of having exposure as payment does not suit many people and we do end up losing quite a lot of people this way so i would also like to point out the gender disparity in the legal industry for example if we do take the judiciary there are more men when compared to women and this is also because there are double standards that all of us are held to such as say women are expected to be caretakers and say they are expected to take care of their families while men can be workaholics and when accommodation isn't made we don't have a lot of women coming up into more powerful positions and this is something i think that is worrying because we do have a lot of women in law colleges but that does not really translate to the industry itself and finally i think i would also like to talk about how the mental impact of imposing such pressure is it often results in burnout and that's something i think everybody should address thanks vivan tanisha for sharing that i feel i can relate to all the folks all have done actually it's similar in this architectural field i feel so much of it comes from this capitalistic mindset of exploitation like i remember there's a running joke in some places that your boss wouldn't say that uh, today you need to work overnight but would say oh, i've called for pizza which essentially means that you have to be there you know it was openly talked about that how you need to meditate or join yoga classes in order to calm yourself so that you can be more productive also there is this false creation that work is like a family and although in architectural field there is this council of architecture where we all have to pay a certain amount to get a license but there is no regulation as such there is no uh, permissible working hours the fair remuneration Although it does state a few places, but it's not you know having keeping checks on it. I have also seen that there is no any prevention of sexual harassment committees in a lot of places. So who do you go to in an organization when you are you know facing such kind of discriminations or getting harassed? 
beyond that a lot of companies register themselves as llcs or something so we when we join these organizations we are hired as consultants and not employees which actually does not make the firm accountable to any of the labor laws because we are ideally consultants but the other side of this is that as consultants ideally then our design should be credited to us but it's not the case the final design that we come up with is given to the principal architect they have played their cards in a very you know whatever is more profiting for them and this is just how architects work but when it comes to making the lot of uh, labor itself we saw in the covid times how the migrant workers the condition of them how nobody took responsibility of their condition and there is this casually in our circles we keep talking about what is skilled labor and unskilled labor so the laborers are generally kind of considered unskilled and which has a connection to the caste demographics also and which starts reflecting on like already as architects we don't have any employee benefits and it becomes worse for these laborers because there is no health security job security the accommodation of these workers are terrible so this whole divide between the skilled and the unskilled labor itself is something i think we need to discuss more about yeah you're absolutely right i think we sort of shy away from these conversations thank you so much for sharing that and i think from what each of us have shared about our experiences it seems like we're trying to navigate and understand labor relations in the systems of capitalism and brahmanical patriarchy which makes me question and i invite you all to answer the question is what work is considered valuable and what are the expectations that we have in our respective workplaces thank you for the question sanesha in my workplace and in the legal industry generally production and performing well and actually delivering work is what is considered valuable and the problem with this is a it leads to the expectation that people have to be workaholics to survive in the industry and two it does lead to even more gender divisions based on already pre established roles like i had previously mentioned so due to lack of accommodation and production is only considered valuable it leads to a very difficult situation for a lot of people in the industry even in the legal industry itself advocates are given more worth than clerks in court halls this again relates to the notion that some work is more important than other and is valued more and i think it's a really wrong idea to have because you respect somebody for the person that they are and for their personality rather than the work that they perform it also leads to a lot of not only gender disparity but also caste based discrimination and division because a lot of people due to a lack of exposure or accommodation or education are not able to do well when compared to others and because some work is not considered valuable by the society these people themselves are not considered valuable Thank you so much for sharing that Viva and I agree with what you said about how respectability and value ties in with caste and I think that a lot of us from the oppressor caste have so much unlearning to do in terms of the language that we use I think even in terms of opportunity and exposure some groups have to fight that much harder to claim their space and just claiming space does not mean things get easy after that so I think there is so much 
unlearning that we need to do and not just unlearning but we need to really hold space for those experiences and we need to question the times when we notice other people you know devalue certain work the other point that you mentioned about productivity is also something that i resonate with not just in mental health but in organizations in general what i've noticed is that people value productivity more than people and something i've seen particularly is organizations that pride themselves for including mental health in their well-being policies but then the message that continues to go from their employers to the employees is that work needs to be turned in and deadlines need to be met but we value your mental health but not over our productivity and that message is something that's never sat well with me i so relate to that sinesha and vibha how caste and gender are so tied together with what is considered valuable and not this whole idea of professional and skilled versus the unskilled yeah i was just thinking of how i've read about how these are connected to the ideas of purity and pollution of which the caste system is kind of framed around that all the dirty or the polluting like housework or manual labor is assigned to people who are considered as subhumans the oppressed castes and gender minorities women trans people and their work is invisibilized they are not valued and respected yeah so it also kind of creates an environment of a hierarchy of whose work gets valued so how identities and work are so interlinked because we see lately that how certain kinds of work crafts especially the craft people which weren't valued the moment a certain oppressor caste identifying person basically appropriates that work it, it gets so much more value than people from the oppressed caste which who have been doing that for generations although there is this idea of what work is considered professional but also the identity of the person doing it affects it so much that is something i am reflecting on now Thank you for sharing that, Chetna. Lots to think about there, and I just wanted to add another point to what you said. I see a lot of people from the oppressor caste talking about how women are liberated now, and you know they get to step out and go to work. But there is no acknowledgement of the reason that we're able to do this is not because there is a sharing of household work, or uh, you know there is shared labor between the men and the other members, but because. we have employed other women from the oppressed caste to take our place and to replace us in the house thank you tanisha and chetna for sharing that with us you have both raised some valid points that has given me a lot to ponder upon and from our conversation it is also very evident that a certain privileged group of oppressor caste cishet able bodied men with capitalistic values are the leading faces of these profession in such a case how does one challenge this setup so that we can have a just equal labor system that is a very accurate depiction of what's happening currently i would say that i feel like i am on my journey to understanding what a new economic or a labor format would look like i have just started reading about historical materialism which talks of how material forces of production and the social relations of production influence the class formation or are actually the basis of class formation and which is also kind of leading me to understand the intersections of caste and class while doing so this idea of historical materialism which was put together by marx has made me 
keen on the communist model of anti-privatization. In that light, I think that the ideal workplace for me would feel like a non-hierarchical plural setup with collaborative decision making, a participatory framework. Um, it would also have a very strong union organization with comparable representation in its reading roles. It also means that it needs to expand the definition of labor itself in the scope of domestic work and manual labor, which the moment we try to do that, it expands our definitions of family also, like the normative family responsibilities of childbearing and child nurturing also just the setting up of a house and kind of shifting it to a more community-based model yeah so each kind of work not just what we previously consider professional work or which gets us to capital but also understanding each aspect of labor and how it can be shared as a community thank you for that chetna i think you worded it beautifully i think i just have a little bit to add i think more of us need to and this links back to something that we've all been talking about and have mentioned at some point but i think more of us need to introspect and evaluate how identity intersects with labor the labor that we're allowed to do the labor that we are doing and Consequently, how that impacts labor relations. I think reimagining labor relations to me would involve radically shifting our idea of power and our idea of who is allowed to voice their concerns and who is allowed to make decisions. I think we need leaders that believe and strive for collective liberation rather than increased output and productivity. Thank you so much, both of you, Tanisha and Chetna. Both of you said a lot of things that I completely agree with. It is important for us going forward to have a better system. And just one more thing to add, and I feel that it's necessary for us to change it right from school itself. So, for example, we need better policies in schools. So, children are taught to respect all professions rather than think that if they're educated or if they, or if they do well in school, they'll go into a reputed profession. And that's something we need to change because respect starts at the very beginning. I also agree that we need a feministic approach to the entire labor system because we need better representation and we need a, a more inclusive industry for better policies that will work and for more people to feel that they're worth it irrespective of the job they do based on who they are. Thanks for sharing that, Vibha. And I think that's a very important point of education and how we imagine labor is also how it is impacted through education, who is getting educated, what other values one is getting the education from. And I think it's a really good starter to think more about. And thank you, Tanisha, for sharing your views. And thank you, listeners, for joining and listening in today. I would like to ask Tanisha and Vibha, what were your takeaways from this conversation? Thank you for summing that up for us. I think for me, this conversation has given me so much to think about. And there's also so much I hadn't appropriately considered before. In all of our experiences, we can see that power dynamics are skewed in the direction of our employers or our organizations. And that despite the privileges that we may have, the system still enables exploitation. After this conversation, I'm, you know, wondering how additional layers and context of marginality as well as marginalized labor only make this power imbalance more precarious to navigate. So I think that's something that I'm going to sit with for a while. Thank you for that, Tanisha. And I completely agree with you and as well as Chetna for summing it up. 
again like tanisha i also have a lot of things that i would like to ponder upon and it's only my belief that we definitely need a feministic approach to the entire labor structure so that we have a better future not only for us but also for younger generations and that's definitely something that we have to work towards i'm so glad all of us are charged with this feministic anti capitalist anti caste visions for the world and we have our own interest to work towards in these areas i hope the listeners enjoyed it too with that i would like to ask from you listeners what is that one internalized notion of labor that you are unlearning i hope you enjoyed the conversation and we really appreciate your support if you like this episode please follow us on instagram and facebook at one future collective and on twitter at one future underscore india and keep an eye out for the future episodes on exploration on feminist leadership by one future fellows 2021 please leave your questions comments or feedback for us on anchor or in our dms we look forward to hearing your thoughts until next time take care of yourself and we hope that we can explore more together thank you